Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Children going to school hungry in this country is flabbergasting. Today we have two guests who think a lot about food and who have influenced the way the rest of the country thinks about food. Uh, One is the chef and restaurateur, Mark Murphy, from Landmark Restaurant here in New York City, and also judge on Chopped, um, and author of Season with Authority, a relatively new cookbook. Well, thank you for having me here. Thanks for being here, Mark. Um, Joel Berg. Joel is the founder of Hunger Free America, recently rebranded with that name. You can describe the evolution to us, Joel, but you're one of the premier advocates, not only in New York City, but in the country for making sure that kids and Americans of all ages get fed and get fed well. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for all your work, Billy, and thanks for this conversation. You know, what I wanted to do was just start by helping people understand that I'm sure you've done this uh, many, many times, but just your own stories, how you got to where you are. I want to start with you, Mark, because one of the things in all of the conversations that we've had, uh, which we've noticed with uh, chefs and restaurateurs, but I'd say chefs in particular, is that the path is almost never linear. It tends (laughs) to be very circuitous. uh, And I think it's, you know, it makes chefs in many ways even more interesting than uh, just their cooking. But tell us how you got to to be where you are today? Well, I I started cooking just because I I moved to New York City and I was a terrible student and did not go to college and I was worried about being hungry to start with. And I thought, I I grew up in Europe. I was born in Milan in Italy and grew up in France and Italy. And And your parents were working there? Yeah, my father was an American diplomat. So I I was wandering around the streets of New York trying to think about what I was going to do. And I thought... I, I don't I probably wouldn't mind being homeless, but I definitely don't want to be hungry. So maybe I should learn how to cook. And then if I learn how to cook, I'll be able to eat. And literally that's sort of where it all started. And I went to a cooking school and I always tell people after I got my first job, I got addicted to cooking. I, I loved the uh, I love the ambiance, I love the food, I love the camaraderie in the in the kitchens. I love the uh, I love the business. I realized that if I stuck this out I would never be hungry and I would never have to wear a tie and did the did the did the European upbringing um, contribute to kind of the passion for food in other words why didn't you decide to do construction or all the other things you could have done to not be hungry well I guess that you know I growing up in Europe I, I had a, my palate was pretty well trained in what I like to eat so I think once I got into cooking school I realized that Cooking was a lot of fun, and it was just about technique. But also, I think you know you had to know what tasted good. And I had already grown up with a with a, a developed palate, having a, a mother who cooked really well, and a and grandparents that I would go visit in the south of France every year. So I got to, I got to be, uh, you know, I feel like I just followed my love, and that was the food. Before we turn to Joel, tell tell us just a little bit more about kind of your apprenticeships, because you're kind of at the you're at the top now professionally, but that's got to be a long climb. It's it is a long climb. I mean, I worked in I worked in Paris in a one star Michelin restaurant for almost two years. I worked at Le Cirque under Sylvain Porté. I I was uh, a sous chef with uh, Joey Fortunato at his restaurant when he opened with, with Drew Nierpont down in Layla and Tribeca. And then as I went on, I became a sous chef. I became a chef, and then now I'm 
lucky enough to have five restaurants and I'm also now a judge on that show called Chopped which is a, a lot of fun and very unexpected I have to say people ask me how I got on there and I always say well I don't know I was just a line cook and I got really lucky and uh, and I and I appreciate it and I love it and I love that you know being on a national TV show and being a chef there's a there's a platform there to talk and even just to be here with you and talking about you know hunger in this country I think is something that's important and it's interesting because the show we do bring up a lot of different issues on Chopped and and sometimes it is about hunger or people how they got into the business there's there's just always a it's always about the food but there's always great stories there's beautiful people in this industry uh, Joel Berg you've worked inside government and outside government. Um, tell us about your path. Tell us what you like best. I assume you like best what you're doing now, which is outside, but Not how do you think about that? Okay. <laughs> In government, it can take eight years to move a decimal point, but once you have, you've helped 10 million people. So I believe even more deeply in the role of government. In fact, all those years I was in government, people would say, oh, well, government stinks. You're just biased because you're in government. Once you get a real job in the for-profit or non-profit sector, then you won't think government's so hot. And I actually believe more whenever that you need the scope of it to get the job done. In any case, I started as an activist at the age of 14. I was involved in environmental causes. I was a big anti-apartheid activist in college. I also combined that we're working on political campaigns. I worked for a lot of people running for Congress, some of whom won, some of who didn't. I worked for a lot of people running for president, most of whom lost until I finally got a job on Bill Clinton's presidential campaign, and much to everyone's shock and thrill, he won. And then I ended up working on the startup of the AmeriCorps National Service Program, and then was sent to USDA, which was supposed to be a 120-day temporary job, and ended up staying all eight years because I became so passionate about the food issue, because it combined everything I cared about. It combined uh, civil rights, it combined human rights. Rights. It combined uh, environmental issues. And then uh, when I left after eight years, I, I came to uh, this job. And, and what year was that? When did you leave? I, I left in 2001. So I was a political so after pointy. the Clinton administration. Yeah, I was a political pointy of uh, President Clinton. I was in the senior executive service jobs at USDA for eight years. And as a political appointee, when Clinton left office, I left office. And I came back to New York City to take over what was then a relatively small organization, the New York City Coalition Against Hunger. Tell us about the coalition and about Hunger Free America. Well, there are a lot of amazing groups doing a lot of vital work around the country in the hunger field. I'm not just like I'm saying, share our strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign are absolutely in the lead of that. But this problem is so vast and so uh, uh, entrenched politically that I thought some of my basic skills as a communicator and as a political person really needed to be applied to my hometown of New York City, where we had extraordinarily regressive policies at the time 15 years ago. We were fingerprinting people to get food stamps, even though that didn't reduce fraud. We had a mayor saying, oh, kids shouldn't get school breakfast because that will increase obesity and hunger doesn't really exist. So we systematically looked at the levers that could be used to reduce hunger in New York City and focused on public-private partnerships and focused laser-like on increasing the of the federal nutrition assistance programs and lobbying for things like minimum wage increases to make sure that fewer people needed this help to begin with. You're the author of a book called All You Can Eat, How Hungry Is America? I want to talk about that. How hungry is America? We've got new data coming out all the time, including last week from the Census Bureau. I don't want to get into a lot of numbers that will be hard to distinguish, but you know, as somebody who's been doing this work for a long time, what's the state of hunger in America today and what's the state of childhood hunger? Let me put it the most basic way I know. The number of people hungry in America is more than the combined population of California and New Hampshire. 
42 million people. Now, they're not starving in the street the way they might in Somalia or North Korea, because we do have a basic safety net. Tens of millions of American children do get school lunch. Uh, tens of millions of American children live in households that get SNAP food stamps benefits. So other developing countries, developing countries don't have those programs at all. But people are choosing between food and rent. People are choosing between food and health care. Parents are going without food to feed their children. Kids are skipping meals routinely often not having breakfast at all, often, as you well know, going without food over the summer because the school lunch program doesn't exist and the summer meals program that does exist doesn't feed enough kids. We do have some good news. When the economy improved over the last year, there was a decrease in hunger, and now the number of children facing hunger is, its low, is at its lowest point since we started uh, counting these numbers in 1997, and there's no doubt that's because of our collective success and share our strengths leadership in increasing participation in school breakfast and summer meals. So the bad news is we have the worst hunger problem out of any industrialized Western nation, per even per capita. People say, oh, we're bigger. But even per capita, the good news is we know what works, and when we expand what works, hunger goes down. It's that simple. And nobody's against feeding hungry kids. Um, well, they and, say and, they're and, not. Or they say they're <laughs> not. Um, and I often wonder how much of the issue is opposition to these efforts versus just indifference. And it seems to me that one of the things that you two both have in common, although you do very different work, is you've raised awareness in ways uh, that are very powerful. Mark, you were talking about being on Chopped, and I'd love to hear how that, being a judge on Chopped, and I'd love to hear how that has changed your life, because it does kind of catapult you into a rank of celebrity that uh, not every chef gets to enjoy, but it also gives you a megaphone and a platform and a voice that not every chef gets to have, and you've used it to really help people understand that this is an issue in this country. Well, absolutely, and I, you know, the, the one that comes to mind right now is we did an episode, which was called a Lunch Lady episode, which was... Uh, and it was Sam Cass was actually judging it with us, Sam Cass from the White House at the time. And we got to have four women who were the chefs of cafeterias in public schools throughout the country. And it was just devastating to hear some of these stories of these women who were, were started backpack programs because they knew that the kids, when they came in on Monday, they hadn't eaten all weekend. These are lunch ladies who took it upon themselves exactly. to, to start a new program, a I private mean, program at the school. And, and one of them was the, the impetus was watching a kid steal ketchup packs because he says he took the packets home and mixed them with hot water and had tomato soup. That's what they ate over the weekend. I mean, that's, you know, stealing the, 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 the ketchup out of the cafeteria. So these, these women showing what they did and how they did it and what, what the stories that came out of that episode were very, very, very powerful. And it was... Um, were they all from one school, Mark? Or they were no, they were all schools. from different schools. Yeah, but they one, all had this in common. They'd all experienced the same thing. Absolutely. So one wow. was from, and I remember the woman who actually won was from Connecticut. <clears throat> and after this whole thing happened, I, I stayed in touch with her and I said, I will do anything you need to try to help. And I remember the head of the Connecticut school program, I'm sure there's a different name for it, but I got to go up and speak to uh, <clears throat> the heads of these schools up in Connecticut and talk about hunger and talk about you know what, what these kids need to do. And you know people have to understand, a kid can't play, a kid can't learn if they're hungry. I mean, they've got to have, they've got to have food to function. And it's just amazing that this is what you know the, the state that we're in but you know the, the beautiful story that came about it was and it was one point in the show was sam cass and i were sitting there and i said you know this is called the lunch lady episode i think this is ridiculous these are lunch chefs these are all women that are chefs 
and and they should have more respect because you know the, the women that are cooking in these schools have a huge burden on their shoulders and that's taking very little to make to feed a lot of kids and try to keep them healthy and and they know that they they have to transform this food i mean they they're in they're in a chop basket every day i mean basically these 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 ladies and these men that work in in public schools and the cafeterias I was last week in Oakland, California, which is a very economically challenged community, uh, and we were visiting some schools there, and uh, one of the uh, principals told us, you would not believe the difference between the participation at the school breakfast program on Monday morning versus Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, because these kids haven't eaten over the weekend. She said, I know, I know, the, I know the town, I know their families, I yeah. know the, the community, and I just, I watch this behavior and see how hungry they are when they come to school. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's obviously hard to imagine we've got kind of two Americas where most of us have kids who go to school fed the same way they are every day of the week. Right. Um, and uh, a lot of Americans have kids who are actually waiting for, for Monday morning. Hungry kids are the only American kids who look forward to Mondays. And they're the only American kids who are against snow days, who are rooting against snow days because they know they're not going to get their school lunch or school breakfast that day. Well, I love the one thing you always say, Billy, and I, I use this a lot, is you know, the, the great thing about Share Our Strength is you know, we, we have to speak up for these kids in Washington. And, and these hungry children do not have lobbyists. They're they not paying any lobbyists to run around Congress and, and fight for them. So that's that's why I think us as a collective, between what Joel do and what you do, and these are things that we have to take upon ourselves to go and, and, and carry that torch and make sure these kids do get fed. So so let's talk, since you've moved us into this, let's talk kind of politics and policy. Mark, shouldn't chefs, shouldn't people who understand food as well as you uh, be more involved in school food systems, um, you know, so Chair Strength, uh, we've worked with lots of other partners around the country to enroll more kids in programs like school lunch and school breakfast. But I've been to some schools where you almost think twice about <laughs> enrolling more kids in them just because the quality of the food looked so so questionable. Uh, how can we leverage, how can we get uh, the, the talent in your industry to share its strength to actually in a qualitative way change food. Well, I think, you know, Bill Telepan here in New York City has done an amazing yeah. job of, of doing his his part. I mean, his his kid goes to a public school and he was appalled at the actual food that was being served. And he got involved and started the, um, what, what's the name of it again? You probably know it, Joel. Uh, it's well, wellness, it wellness, and, schools? Wellness, wellness and schools. schools. Yeah. And I, I think it's just about people getting in their local communities, local chefs getting involved with their local schools and just getting in there and rolling up their sleeves and trying to help out. Because I got to tell you, when you when you watch things on TV and you see fast food companies going in to feed kids in in schools, that's that's not what we need. Stop, you know, get get a couple chefs in there and cook some decent food. And and I think there's a lot of it is actually just getting even more respect for the for the uh, cafeteria chefs that are working there because they're not. I don't think they're respected enough for what they do. And they they they, they are chefs. They have to cook. They they understand food. They just need more resources to be able to get the food that they need. And the healthy food they need. They need to make somehow we got to make the healthy food cheaper than the non-healthy food because the non-healthy food is really cheap and it, it's subsidized crazy crazy amounts to get that stuff made. We need to subsidize the the food that's good to eat. We you know the the guy who's growing all the carrots needs that needs the extra money to do that. And we also have to get schools to make food the centerpiece of their thinking, not an afterthought. Right. For most of us. Food is the centerpiece of day. We think, oh, uh, we're going to plan our day around lunch, or, uh, around dinner. Some of these schools, uh, they'll have lunch at 10 a.m. 
Right. It's it's crazy or, or barely builds in a lunchtime at all. And schools just have to understand that food should be the centerpiece of their planning, not just for health reasons, but again, for educational reasons. And we have to change the economics. School food services are the only parts of schools that are supposed to make money. Well, also, you know, there's 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 interesting ways that you can get lunch and the food service to be part of the curriculum. Where you could study why, as I said, like you know, if you have a field, you know, take a little piece of a field and grow stuff. You can bring it into science class. You can then take the food and you can, there's, if, if these chefs that are working in these schools are educated and know about food, they should be teaching cooking classes. They should be talking about food. They should be, it should just be brought in as, as science and math. You, you, know, you need math to be able to cook for a bunch of kids. I mean, it, you can work it in somehow. You have to just, they have to be creative and they have to, have to want to do it. Mark, all of us at Share Our Strength are so inspired by the commitment you've made to making hunger such a big part of your work. Um, your voice seems to be only getting stronger and um, reaching a larger audience through Food Network and the success of your restaurants and so forth. How do we get others? I feel like you know, Share Our Strength has made its it kind of it its mission uh, for it to be a rite of passage for chefs and those with culinary talent to uh, at some point commit to this anti-hunger work. But at the end of the day, we still work with a you know, in terms of industry wide, probably still just a fraction of who we could be working with. What do you think we could be doing better um, as a community? you and us together um, to reach more people in the industry that, that you work in? Well, I think, first of all, I think that uh, if you're going to go dine out, I think you should probably be aware of who in your community is supporting organizations like this, and you should support their businesses. Because if, if Something these everybody chefs, could do. Exactly. Right? If, if these chefs don't have a business that's actually functioning and making money, they're not going to be around very long. So we need to support them so they could support share our strength, so to speak. I want to, as we kind of wrap up, I want to talk about what's next for uh, each of you in terms of you've got five restaurants, Mark, uh, you've got TV, you've got books. How are you thinking about where you want to take your your business and yourself professionally and personally? Well, for me, it's about, you know, I have a, a great team and I need, I need to keep growing to keep my team energized and keep them, you know, rising them up through the ranks and keeping, uh, you know, just keeping the momentum going because I love what I do and I, I you know I got in this business one because I wanted to eat but also because some of the most amazing times I felt and had the most fun I've ever had is actually sitting around a table eating and drinking and that I, that I can be part of that for many many people every day and helping them achieve that sort of goal and just sitting around and having a good meal and a good bottle of wine and having a good time I think that that's a that, that's a great feeling and also now with my cookbook people can actually cook my my food at their house and do it themselves and sit around the table because there's nothing better. So w what I do, I, al I also wish for the rest of the country and, and uh, to be able to do as well, sitting around a table and having a, having a meal and, and enjoying f friends and family. I think it's important. Let me just uh, tell our listeners a great way to learn more about Mark Murphy as I did is go to your website, which is one of my favorites because you've got 25 things that most people don't know about you. Actually, you've got 30, you've got a bonus five on yours, uh, including being a clown on the Achilles Lauro when you were 16, a cruise ship, um, and just lots of other things that I think people would not <laughs> know about you or would not guess. But I found it um, very uh, both entertaining and illuminating. And I'd encourage people to learn more about Mark's work, more about Mark's restaurants, uh, Mark Murphy from Landmark and Chopped. Uh, thank you for being with us here today, Thank you Mark. very much. 
uh, and Joel Burt, Hunger Free America. Uh, there's ways for everybody to be an advocate, just as Mark was saying, there's ways for everybody to support the activists in this uh, restaurant community by going to their restaurants, by getting involved, uh, by completing that kind of circle. There's ways that everybody can uh, express their voice, and Hunger Free America is a great way to learn to do that. So your website as well would be invaluable for people. And I want to thank you, Joel, for being with us. Joel Berg and Mark Murphy, thanks both. Thank you, Billy. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty, and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making No Kid Hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.